Philippians chapter number three. We'll start in verse one and we'll read into our text tonight, which is verses 10 and 11, basically. We're going to deal a little bit with verse number nine just because it's so interconnected, though we did a start to address that. These are powerful verses and, and uh, really um, just in a, in a nutshell give the gospel. So almost a continuation in many ways of our, uh, our friend day effort, you know, and, and the, the clarity, the clarity of the Bible about salvation and that it is by grace through faith. And so I, I look forward to emphasizing that again. But this is written to believers, as we said last uh, Wednesday night. And uh, there was some pressure on them to uh, try to add more to uh, their salvation in Christ. Now, we need to grow. We all acknowledge that. But there's nothing you need to add to what Jesus did for your salvation. So we're going to look at that. And I hope it'll be a blessing. I trust it will. I know, I know it's intended that way in God's word. So let's look at it now in verse number one. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And to write the same things to you, to me, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. In other words, it's, it's for your well-being that I want to address these matters, as Paul tells them. And then he gives them a warning, a threefold warning. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. This was those who were emphasizing uh, circumcision, physical circumcision in order to be right with God. Legalistic thinking, legalism. But then what Paul says in verse 3, he says, for we are the circumcision. Don't, don't get off track in emphasizing external righteousness. It's internal righteousness that matters with God. External forms has no validity to it if there's not an internal correspondence. All right. We are the circumcision, and by the way, he's writing about Jews and Gentiles alike, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And here was our main emphasis last week, and have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. It's like Paul is saying, if you really want to go there, let me go there just a minute. Let's see how you measure up, all right? If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. All, none of those things were getting him to God. None of them. In fact, those things were keeping him from Christ. Okay. Because he was trusting in those. Look what else he says in verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. For the excellency, I'd like to come back to that word here in just a moment. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God 
by faith. That I may know him. There's the purpose. I mean, that was Paul's goal. I hope you'd really think about that tonight. God did all this in my life that I might know him. That I may know him. I believe we lose sight of that along the way, even in our Christian life, even in faithful weekly church attendance. We can lose sight of the reason why we're here on a Wednesday night is that we might know him. You say, I already know about him. Oh, friend, listen. Uh, there's things you don't know about him. You're not going to exhaust who he is. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Let me just keep reading a little bit. I, I think it'll help us as we just finish out his personal testimony and then he's going to make application based on that. So really, we're, I mean, we're at the central idea in many ways of the whole book. As he says, not as though I already attained. In other words, I haven't arrived spiritually. Neither were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and preaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So tonight we're just going to look at verses um, 9 through 11, uh, a little bit from verse 8. And uh, here's the title of the message tonight, the one pursuit, the one pursuit that gives rest. The one pursuit that gives rest. Paul went from performance to relationship. From performance to relationship. I've got a longer subtitle, but I'm afraid you might get lost in it. I'll run it by you real quick. Relinquishing the pressure of personal performance for the power of a personal relationship with Christ. <laughs> For there and got lost. <laughs> I can tell by the way you laughed right there. <laughs> there's, a, there's a pressure that we can put on ourselves to perform. And that'll rob you of your joy. But if you'll make the focus of your life, and basically in these words, I want to know him. That changes everything. Now, you still got to go to work tomorrow. And you still got to get the kids to school, pick them up. You still got to get groceries. You still got to do homework. But if you do it that I might know him, I'm telling you, it'll change everything. So may God bless the reading of his word. I appreciate you standing for that lengthy subtitle. <laughs> No, I appreciate you standing in honor of God's word here tonight. <clears throat> I 
Paul was greatly concerned. Can't you tell by the way he was writing this? He was greatly concerned. He was concerned because there were those that were emphasizing this uh, personal performance. I mean, this endless cycle, this endless, uh, we heard Sunday night even a, an analogy as Miss Margaret, I really do appreciate the testimony. It, it, it captures the idea, just a, a, a treadmill where, where you're running, 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 running and going nowhere. I, you know, I don't know how everybody feels about it that who like to run. I, I will run on a treadmill, but I'd, I much prefer, much prefer being outdoors and, and changing scenery, you know, rather than just Running, we've got our wilderness workout wing of the house. That's what we call it. It's got an office and workout. It's got a treadmill in there and got a big deer head and a couple, a couple well, Trevor's big deer head, my little deer head. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of old running and just seeing the deer for a long time. You know what I mean? Just going nowhere, right? Um, and, and, that, and Paul was concerned though. He was concerned primarily because of this, because uh, because they, they were emphasizing and saying that there's more you need to add um, to what you've believed about Christ. In other words, if you haven't been circumcised, you're not right with God. That's what they were saying. Now, was it as dire of a situation as it was in, in Galatia? No, it, it wasn't quite yet, but it was headed that way. Was it like it was in Colossae? I, I don't know that it was even to that level yet, but it was headed that way. Hey, even just one little ounce of wrong and false doctrine can really mess up a Christian's life and mess up a church. And so Paul was, was concerned about that. And he didn't want them to get caught up into that way of thinking. And, and, and by the way, you, you may not be uh, tempted to uh, believe false doctrine, though there's ample out there if you want to go along with people that believe everything from godlessness to, to, uh, to man's works being a means of salvation. There's all kinds of false doctrine that you could get, get roped into, but, but there's also the world of advertising that is constantly telling you, you don't have enough. I'll tell you what you need tonight. In one word, more. You just need more. More what? It doesn't matter. More, whatever they can manipulate our minds into thinking we need more of. And, and uh, you don't have this. You need this. You, you need to look like this. You need to drive this. You need to live like this. You need to drink this. You need to smoke this. You need to have this. You need to be this. Good night. If you listen to everything, who in the world would you be? A mess, right? A mess. Paul, uh, in this section, he's talking about acceptance with God. And they're saying to have acceptance with God, you've got to identify with Jews and keep the law. They were attempting to make them religious, not righteous. They were uh, enticing them to go back to the, uh, to the figures or to the types or to the, to the pictures of the Old Testament. But, but why in the world would you want to go back to those pictures when you know Christ? It'd be like somebody at, that is in the car. They've traveled all this way. They've looked at pictures on the way of the Grand Canyon, and now they are there. They've arrived at the Grand Canyon, and, and I mean, the Grand Canyon is just right there. But they stay in the car looking at their pictures. Get out of the car. Go look at the Grand Canyon. Take your own pictures, right? Does that make sense? Why would you want to stay in the car when you got the Grand Canyon right there? And, and Paul is saying, why would you want to go back to the sacrifices? Why would you want to go back to the Old Testament rituals and all those things when we have Christ? 
Plus this, you'll never save yourself keeping the law. By the way, there wasn't any problem with the law. The problem was not the law. Paul said, the law is good. The law is good if a man use it righteously. The law is good. It's not the law's problem. It's our problem. We got a sinful flesh that won't keep the law. Listen tonight, if you're going to try to be righteous by keeping the law, then here's what you got to do. You got to keep it perfectly. I mean, you got to keep every one of the laws. Well, you say, I've already broken the laws. Then you need a Savior. And thank God there is a Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem was not the law. The problem that we saw was this, the sinfulness of our flesh, which, by the way, even after we're saved, it's not like your flesh gets reformed. You still have a wicked, sinful flesh that you need God's help to control. And to keep in the submission, you better not let yourself, your flesh, yeah, yourself, that's right, yourself or your flesh out on parole on good behavior because it has no good behavior. Sinfulness of our flesh. There's no way to be right with God apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And these individuals, here's what was going on. They were trying to add, they were trying to add things to grace. But listen, the very moment that you add anything to grace, it is no longer grace. By the way, there's nothing you can add to improve on the person of Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can add to his finished work. I mean, just think about the audacity of that. Just think about how insulting that would be to think that we, in our flesh, could do something to improve upon who he is. That's insulting. And that's wrong. You ever had New York style pizza? Man, that's good stuff. We got a place up in Bethany we really like called Papa Angelo's. And I mean, I just go in there to listen to the accents, quite honestly. You know, I just, I love it. I mean, true New Yorkers, you know, the, these are from the Bronx. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they're from that borough. And man, I just, I just love the accent. But I, I'll tell you what, I'm going to help, help you here tonight. When you go eat New York style pizza and it's the authentic thing, here's what you do not do. This is like a cardinal sin. This is an unpardonable sin in New York. You don't dip it in ranch. That is an insult. Am I, is there anybody from New York? Can you verify that? Am I telling the truth there? You, you just don't add ranch to it. Why? Because it's so good the way it is, you leave it alone. It's an insult. And you don't want to insult a New Yorker. I guarantee you that. Hey, listen to this. If a steak is done right, it does not need steak sauce. Amen. You're going to ruin a good steak if you put steak sauce on it. If it's a good steak and it's done right, it ought to eat just like it is. You get what I'm saying? Okay. Now, those are two very... Somebody wants me to park it right there. Somebody has not had supper yet tonight, right? Yeah, if it's a good steak, you don't need steak sauce. Now, those are feeble. Those are feeble illustrations of what I'm, I'm trying to illustrate. Listen, Jesus Christ is so magnificent, so good, it's insulting to try to add anything to him. He's all you need. He's all you need, that's for sure. And, and so certainly don't add your feeble person to it. Your feeble work to it. And so Paul knew that this was a dead end street. He said, I've already been down that road. I've already been down that street. I, I tried to make myself right with God. I, I tried to claim my heritage. I was a Jew. I was of the stock of Israel. I was a, a Benjamite. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In fact, I was an ultra conservative. a Pharisee. If anybody was right with God, surely I was. I was circumcised on the eighth day. And, and concerning zeal, I was persecuting the church. In other words, he's saying this, my acceptance with God is based on my performance. And here's what he found. 
Everything that was a gain to me was actually a loss. In other words, it did not earn him favor with God. Totally a loss. But in Jesus Christ, he found everything he needed. Everything he needed. You say, yeah, but he lost his position as a Pharisee. Didn't matter to Paul. He was done with it. He was done with it because listen, when, when you find a relationship with Christ, you're glad to be done with whatever it was that was holding you back from him. Are you listening to me here tonight? When you find, a, when you find out, listen, we, we don't have to go in even into to all the wrongs of, of all society and what's wrong with this and what's wrong with that. Here's the point. When you have a personal relationship with Christ, you understand why you're done with all that stuff. We don't even have to go in and Prove just how deadly all of it is. You just find out how wonderful it is, you'll be done with it. What he left behind didn't even compare. He left behind, listen to this, Warren Wiersbe said, when he was living under the law, all Paul had was a set of rules. But now he had a friend. Now he had a master. Now he had a constant companion. I'm glad the Christian life is not a list of rules. I'm glad it's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to emphasize that. We need to emphasize that independent fundamentalism. We need to emphasize that. We don't, we don't need to throw, throw away and get away from independent fundamentalism because that's biblical. Amen. But what we do need to emphasize in the midst of all this is that, listen, it is a relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. Yes, there are some things that are off limits with God. Don't you know that Paul lived that way? That's not because he still continued his legalistic thinking. No, he forsook that behind. But I'm telling you, he had some standards in his life because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul was free from the burden of trying to earn God's favor. And as a result of that, now he could enjoy God's friendship. <sighs> he was free. He was free from the burden of trying to earn God's favor. Amen. Now he could be friends. He was at peace with God. Look what he said in verse number nine, and be found in him, found in him. The, the, the terminology, the phrase in Christ, how often Paul used that. In Christ, in him. In fact, it's, it's why you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. In Adam means that you are unregenerate. You've not been born again. You've had one birth. Hang on, let me say that in English. <laughs> <laughs> Slow down and just say the word. You've had one birth, you need another one. You're in Adam, you are a human being, you are created in, his, in God's image, but you are a sinner by your very nature and thus you cannot go to heaven in Adam. You must go to heaven in Christ. I ask you tonight, are you in Adam or in Christ? If you're saved tonight, if you understood the gospel, if you knew that you're a sinner and there's nothing you could do to save yourself, but that you heard the good news that Jesus died for you and rose again, and you trusted his person, you trusted what he did rather than what you could do. In other words, in one word, you did this. You believed. I mean, biblically believed. You believed. It's as simple as that. Yes, I'm trusting him and what he did rather than what I can do. Then the Bible says that by that, you are in Christ. Being found in him, my soul, what a blessing to be found in him. Where might you be found? Found in him, he says, and being found in him. Look at the rest of verse number nine, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is 
through the faith of Christ, that righteousness which is of God by faith. Hey, listen, there's only two types of righteousness. There is the righteousness that God provides, and there's the righteousness that you try to come up with. And only one will get you to heaven, and it's not yours. It's the righteousness. You need right. The, the issue of the Bible is righteousness. And how do you get righteousness? The Jews said, well, you got to do X, Y, and Z. God says, believe. Amen. Amen. Believe and I'll give you righteousness. It's, it's given to you. It's not earned. It's not achieved. I'm not trying to re-preach the message on Sunday, but, but, but listen, that's, that is the essence of the Bible. Never in a million years, given your sinful flesh, could you earn God's righteousness or in righteousness that he's pleased with tonight. But he'll give you righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, my soul. In the Bible, that's often called this, the imputed righteousness. That means this, it was given to your account. You did not put it on your account. He put it on your account. Amen. Be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. Paul says, I already found that to, that to be a, a hopeless cause. I was never gonna earn God's favor. But here's what I received. When I had no righteousness, he who knew no sin became sin for me that I might be made the righteousness of God in him. Not one of us here deserves that. But thank God in his mercy, he gave us his righteousness. Thank God we're not here in our righteousness, which the Bible says are as filthy rags. Thank God that he, he lovingly gave us his righteousness. Well, all of that happened that it might be possible that you would know the Lord. Verse, verse number 10, he says, uh, the righteous which is of God by faith that, that I might know him, that I may know him. That this is the new purpose in Paul's life. I went, I went from this endless pursuit of trying to perform to now this personal relationship with Jesus Christ that gives me the power to live. What a blessing that I may know him, know him, not just know facts about him, but I'm talking to you tonight about personally knowing him, personally knowing him. Everyone in this room needs a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're saved today, you, you've got that opportunity. You are in a relationship with him, but it may be that your purpose and the goal of your life is, is not really focused on knowing him, but it ought to be. It ought to be. It, it ought to be the focus of every one of our life that, that we might cry in our heart saying, oh God, I want to know you. Do you want to know him? I thank God tonight he has made himself known to us. And we can know him. Listen to what uh, Alexander McLaren, let me, I came across a couple quotes here I think it'll be a blessing. To deepen that experi experimental knowledge of Jesus is a worthy aim for the whole life. It's a worthy aim for your whole life. To, he, said, he said this, and in the, uh, see, a worthy aim for the whole life and is a process that may go on indefinitely throughout all of your life. But Smith, how long have you been saved, sir? Since I was 10. 10 years old. You're 86, 87. It's a long time to be saved. Do you know him? He knows him. Do you think he knows him as much as he wants to know him? Still wants to know him, don't you? Yeah. Is this making sense? I want to know him. 
I want to have a personal relationship with him. Uh, to know him more and more is to have more of heaven in us. To be penetrating ever deeper into his fullness and finding every day new depths to penetrate is to have a fountain of freshness in our dusty days that will never fail and never run dry. There, listen to this, there is only one inexhaustible person. There's only one inexhaustible person and that's the person of Jesus Christ. Inexhaustible. Now, why do, you, why do you get married? Well, you get married so that you get to know the one that you committed your life to. How many that are married would, would honestly say, I thought I knew my spouse and then I got married and realized I had a lot to learn. And 50 years later, you still have a lot to learn, right? been saved since I was eight years old. I'm 45 now. I still have a lot to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ and I want to, that I may know him. Uh, Jeremiah said, uh, well, the Lord said through Jeremiah, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. Knowing him. Paul talks about it in Ephesians about the knowledge of him and Peter talked about it that through the knowledge of him, he's called us a glory and virtue. And then he said this in, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in that. Hey, listen tonight, you don't just need to know uh, about redemption. You need to know the Redeemer. You don't just need to know about salvation. You need to know the Savior. You don't just need to know about, about uh, being one of his sheep. You need to know the shepherd. And we can know him. Uh, Matthew Henry, he said this, true knowledge of Christ alters and changes men. When you get to know him, he changes you. <laughs> their judgments and their manners and makes them as if they are made again anew. He said this, the believer prefers Christ knowing that it is better for us to be without all worldly riches than without Christ and his word. In other words, he's saying, there's no treasure like the Lord Jesus Christ and the privilege and the blessing to get to know him. Notice the next part of the verse here, that I may know him. Been meditating on that, just that phrase right there. Maybe that's what you could do is just say, Lord, I want to know you. In my devotions, I don't want to just check off the box that I read it. I want to know more about you. I don't want to just come to church and say, I went to church. God, I want to know you. As I sing these songs, I don't just go through the motion of singing these songs. I want to be paying attention to the redemption that is ours through Jesus Christ and rejoicing in him. That I may know him. And, and he says, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. In other words, he's, he's explaining what it means to know him. He says, I, I want it, I'm, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Here's what Paul is saying in, in this part of the verse right here. He's saying it is the resurrected Christ that changed his life. He said, I don't serve a dead savior. I, I, I have a living savior. Hey, it was a living Christ that helped Paul. 
It was a living Christ that changed Paul. It was a living Christ that spent time with Paul. It was a, will, a living Christ for whom Paul was willing to suffer. It was a, willing, a living Christ, rather, of whom Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. Hey, he's not saying rejoice in a bunch of rules. He's not saying rejoice in religion. He's saying this, rejoice in the Lord. Get to know him. Make it the purpose of your life to get to know him. Rejoice in the one who's coming again. He's a living Christ, the power of his resurrection. And he's the one that set all things in motion. Notice, notice how this verse is even arranged. It's actually parallel. As you have verse number 10, you've got the power of his resurrection. Then you've got the, the, the fellowship of his suffering in the middle and then the conf being conformable unto his death. And then verse number 11, it goes back to the idea of the resurrection. So it's written in parallel way where you have resurrection, resurrection, death or suffering and then death. And so in the middle of that, you have have the fact that, listen, if we're going to be identified with him, then there's going to be a part of our lives where we are going to suffer with him, maybe even shame or, or rejection by a society that does not know him. It's, in other words, Paul is saying there's no such thing as a crossless Christianity. It's only modern Christianity and other forms of quote-unquote Christianity in the past that tried to make Christianity acceptable and palatable to the society that was around it, trying to win the world to themselves rather than winning the world to Christ. Paul says this, listen, I want to identify with him. I'm willing even to suffer with him that I might know him. Because of his resurrection, and the resurrection power that is there. And in fact, listen to this. It's, it's really in suffering when we really get to know him. But I don't like suffering. I don't think any of us do. And, I don't, and by the way, I don't think Paul was saying, bring it on. I love it. That's not how he was. But he was saying this. What a privilege. What an honor. To be able to identify even in suffering, how many times, you know, beaten and shipwrecked and, and, and uh, all that Paul went through. But he, he counted it a joy. You know why? That I may know him and that I might make him known. Because listen, when we suffer for righteousness, we're, we're manifesting Christ more than really any other time. Some of you have paid a price for identifying with Jesus Christ at your workplace. There's an agenda that's trying to, and people that are uh, working that agenda, and they're expecting that you're going to go along with that. But if you take a stand for Christ, it may cost you that promotion. It may very well cost you your job. You've been rejected maybe by family members. You've been rejected by friends, even, 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 within, uh, even within church or even within Christian relationships. When a person really starts to say, man, I, I don't want to just go through the motions of Christianity. I really want to know the Lord. And they get serious about serving God. There may even be some of your Christian friends that kind of distance themselves from you because they think, man, he's, he's going off. You may lose some friends in trying to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And now don't lose friends because you personally are being obnoxious. That's not right. But if you're losing friends because you're trying to know Christ, then, then you're suffering with him. Paul's saying suffering is a part of our lives. You read the book of Philippians, you, uh, the rest of it in the early parts in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Corinthians, Romans 8, Colossians 1. I mean, all these are, are really showing clearly that don't be surprised that we go through some suffering in this life. 
But don't forget that he's a living Savior who's with you in those tough times. That I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. What, what is that uh, talking about? Well, I, I mean, obviously he's not like attaining in the sense of trying to earn something. That would, that would just completely go against everything he's already said. So that's not what he's saying. The resurrection of the dead, uh, it's an interesting study and goes a little bit beyond what we have time for here tonight. But basically Paul is saying this, and I believe what he's saying is, hang on just a minute. What he's certainly not saying is that he, he has no idea what's going to happen in the future. That's not what he's saying because he knows what's going to happen in the future. Just glance down at verse 20 and 21. He's saying this, Jesus is going to come again and we're going to be raptured out of here and changed like unto him. What he's saying in verse number 11, he's saying this, I don't know how it's going to end with me. In fact, I believe what he's saying is simply this. I'm hoping I get to be a part of the transformation rather than the resurrection. But if I die and they place my body in the, in the grave, I know my spirit soul will be in his very presence. And someday when he comes again, the dead in Christ shall rise first and I'll be one of those that arise then. But he's saying at this point, I'm telling you, Paul believed in a pre-tribulational view of the rapture. Paul believed in, the, in an imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, I don't know if I'm going to live to see the rapture. I sure would like to. That's what he's saying. I sure would like to. You know why he sure would like to? Because he wanted to know him. He wanted to be in his presence. And so I believe today, church, that we have biblical grounds to say, I hope he comes in our lifetime. I hope he comes in our lifetime. I, I hope we get raptured out of here. Like the preacher said, I'm looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker. I, I hope I get raptured out of here and get to bypass death. That'd be a hallelujah blessing. But if not, they'll hold my funeral service here someday and we'll be buried. I'll be buried in a, in a graveyard and maybe however many years from now, Jesus will indeed come again and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So what Paul is saying is this, whether in life or in death or whatever happens, I know I'm secure in Jesus Christ because I'm found in him. I don't have a righteousness that is my own. I have a righteousness that he has given to me. And not only do I have that on my account, but I've got a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul didn't want them to get caught up in that endless pursuit of a personal performance because he knew the power that they needed for daily living was actually found simply in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I encourage you tonight, stop performing and start pursuing. Stop performing and start pursuing. What do you mean by that? I mean this. Stop trying to earn God's approval by your works and start pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ that produces good works. I'm, I'm not saying live any old way you want to. That's not it at all. But would you agree tonight that oftentimes we emphasize service without relationship? The word of God says, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. But sometimes we put thou shalt serve the Lord thy God and thou shalt also worship. But that's not the right order. The right order is we need to spend some time worshiping him, adoring him, being with him, and then serve him. 
sometimes I'm afraid we bypass that worship aspect and just get right into our performance acceptance. Stop performing. Start pursuing. Start pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of basic things that could be said right here and probably a lot of the basic things that need to be said right here about, about just daily being in the Word, but not just, again, not for the sake of just checking off the mark. That's performance. But pursuing a relationship with Christ is, Lord, help me understand the passage here today. God, use this to draw me close. Lord, help me meditate. Give me a verse that I can meditate on through the day. You do that? Lord, put a song in my heart that I can think about you throughout the day. And, and, and God, uh, closely guard my heart because I don't trust my flesh. I'm, I'm very susceptible to making a big mess of life just by living in the flesh. Lord, I need a close relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and I, I'm telling you, when you begin to pursue, and it's real, when it's real, it's not, it's not you're doing that to get somebody's, oh man, look at them go. If that's it, that's performance. Are you listening to me? If you're doing that or you're, you're attending church or you're doing this just to please people, that's it. That's performance. But if you're doing this because he's alive and you know him in salvation and he showed you grace and he gave you mercy and you know his love and your love is growing for him, that's relationship. Then you're out of that performance-based acceptance and you're pursuing, pursuing a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I take my wife on a date night. Why do I take my wife on a date night? So I can mark it off that I got it done. Uh-oh. <laughs> huh? Is that why? Is it, okay, let me ask you this way. Would that be a good reason? Uh-uh. No. Why, why, do you, why do you do that? Just keep her off my case. Oh, no. No, 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 no. That's not good. Huh? But how, how about I do that because I love her? Amen. And I want to spend time with her. I'm pursuing her. You say, why you got to pursue her? You're married. That's when you pursue. Some people... <laughs> Stop pursuing after they get married. I've done it, and I've had to ask Angie to forgive me. I've skipped date nights and scheduled youth rallies. No, boy, no. <laughs> Sorry. Where that came from. It's no good. I'm just here to tell you it's not good. Why? We need a relationship. I'm just simply saying stop performing. Stop just marking things off. Stop doing things to ease your conscience and start really endeavoring to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That'll, that'll change a marriage when I start pursuing her. What I was going to say before was a lot of people pursue their spouse before they get married and then they get married and they stop pursuing. They stop, stop dating, stop talking, stop being together and then you just kind of run in a house together. And that's not what God intended in marriage, is it? I mean, I wasn't really prepared to talk about marriage here tonight, but it's a good illustration of where we are spiritually sometimes is we just kind of make life work under God's authority. And that's not how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be in a loving relationship with Him that's real and growing because He is real and He's alive. Not an academic subject that we're supposed to study and learn a bunch of ologies about. No, but, but you need to learn all the doctrine of the Bible. We need to know those things, but we need to know those that I might know Him and the power of his resurrection. 
and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, that I might, I hope I get to live by the time that he comes back again. But if not, it's all right. Whatever happens, I know who he is and he's alive and he's taking care of me. What an opportunity we have to have a real relationship. That'll change your life. That'll keep your life on the right track. Because it's not about our performance, it's about pursuing a relationship that gives power for daily living. Let's stand together here tonight. Is it your pursuit to know Him? It could be tonight that your love for Him has grown cold. I, I ex have experienced that. God used this message even in my own life to help me see that even as a pastor, I can do a bunch of pastoral duties, serving the chief shepherd, and yet not really be pursuing a relationship with the Lord Jesus, just getting the next sermon done. That's not how it's supposed to be. For a preacher, it's not how it's supposed to be for a Christian. How about you say tonight, God, I just, I want to know you. I want to know you. Lord, tonight, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the example of Paul and his willingness to share his testimony and to see even the, um, the fruitlessness of, um, of a performance-based acceptance and a performance-driven life. Lord, but then the fruitfulness and the joy of a life lived in pursuit of a relationship with you. Lord, I pray you'd help us to have that desire. Our flesh would resist it, but I know the Spirit of God working in us would urge us to move in that direction. I pray for, for um, some that have maybe even grown up here in the church environment, but they don't have a relationship with you in a personal way. I pray, God, that you'd help them to have that personal relationship with you. Lord, I would imagine there's some here that, that are in a transitional phase where it's not just their parents' religion, but Lord, it's, it's their personal relationship. I pray that you'd help them. And, and then those in the latter years of their life, dear God, I pray they wouldn't go, grow cold or, or complacent, God, but that they might have that desire for a personal walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin to sing tonight, page 256.